So before the quarantine, or before the policy to stay at home was put into effect, I used to drive by this one house almost every day. And it was a beautiful house with this classic red brick siding, a three-car garage, and a big, beautiful green lawn. However, for some reason, the owners decided to move. And apparently, they moved before selling the house. Now, in most cases, this might be okay. And especially if your house sells fast. However, the problem was the house wasn't selling fast. And so with the weather being so nice these days and the grass growing so fast, there was no one around to mow it. And also, even though the house had this nice red brick siding with these white windows, apparently there must have been a leak in the roof because it had this blue tarp that covered a part of the house. And the white windowsills, they became like yellow and green from all the uh, mold and pollen. And so it's sad because nobody was around to maintain the house. This beautiful house that was worth probably about a million dollars. It became a wreck. And I'm pretty sure that the owner will get like 30, maybe even 40% less than the asking price. And I share this because the Christian life is similar, isn't it? Unless we maintain our faith, the weeds of life grow and it chokes us and it makes our lives really ugly, doesn't it? And the bad news is, although some of us are really handy around the house and some of us are good about maintaining our homes, spiritually, there's too much work, there's too much damage in our life for us to handle. But the good news is, our God is not like a clockmaker God who creates us and winds us up and says, go, you know, I'll meet you at the finish line. No, our God is a providential God who not only created us, but walks alongside of us to maintain us, to care for us, and so we can live out beautiful lives of faith. And so if we look at our passage carefully, there's at least three things I'd like us to see regarding God's providence for his people. The first thing is if we understand God's providence, it should bring us comfort knowing that he knows us. Second, if we understand God's providence, it should bring us to peace knowing that he has a plan for us. And third, if we really understand God's providence, it should drive us to answer his call to go to others. And so first, to learn about God's providence, we need to understand this means God knows us inside and out. You know, every time I heard that one uh, famous and familiar song, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Whenever I would hear that song, it always makes me laugh. Because the first few times I heard it, it was during these comedic scenes in Spaceballs, Police Academy, and the show A Perfect Stranger, when this character named Balky, when he was all alone and feeling sorry for himself, he would sing this song. 
But later, I found out that this song is actually a serious song. It's a Christian song that originated from the black community during times of slavery. And although many people, they just sing the first two lines as a joke, if you look at the lyrics carefully, it says, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Oh, yes, Lord. And it goes on and on. And in the next verse, it says, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, but glory, hallelujah. And when you hear guys like Louis Armstrong and Nat King Cole sing this, it's so powerful. Not only because they have this cool and jazzy voice, because the words are so true and so biblical. And we know this because the truth that nobody may know except Jesus. This truth is all over the Bible and like passages like ours today. You see, if you go back all the way back to chapter 42, when the brothers first go to Egypt to buy food, right away scripture tells us Joseph knew and Joseph recognized them immediately. When the brothers had no idea who this new and powerful governor, this new and powerful ruler that the Pharaoh put in place was. And if you go back to chapter 43, when the brothers return a second time with Benjamin, again, Joseph knew which one was Benjamin. He could uh, identify him right away when nobody knew who Joseph really was. Until our passage today, where it tells us that Joseph couldn't hold it in anymore. He reveals himself saying, it's me, Joseph, your long lost brother. And verse 3 tells us they were left speechless because they were shocked and they were afraid. Now for most people, when you finally get to see your sibling and you see that they made it, right? That they made it to the top and they're billionaires. For most of us, it would excite us and it would bring us joy. But not for the brothers. Why is that? And it's because although they thought no one knew about them in their history, right? Now they came to realize Joseph knows everything about them. And he knew the whole time. Joseph knows that they're killers who killed all the men in this one village out of revenge for their sister. Joseph knows that they like to sleep around with their father's concubine and with prostitutes. And Joseph knows that they are liars, they are backstabbers, and who are traitors who literally and who did sell out their own family members. And because they didn't understand God's grace, they didn't understand the gospel, and they had it all wrong, it filled them with fear when they realized that Joseph knew everything. They were so scared instead of finding comfort. And that's why in verses 4 and 5, Joseph basically says, it's all right, come over here. Please, please, it's really okay. I know you're afraid because I know what you did. 
But still, I love you and God wants to save you. Amazing, isn't it? The thing we need to realize, friends, as God cares for us and God wants to take care of our lives, this is the type of God that we have. Yes, like the brothers, we may be so self-centered that we don't recognize God when we see him. But be assured that God recognizes us and he knows of all our needs. And that's why the Bible tells us that he is the Alpha and Omega, meaning he has known us from the beginning when he formed us in our mother's womb. And he knows our end, when we will pass, how we will pass, and when it's best for us to return. But when God says, and Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, it's not that he's only the book ends, but everything in between. He knows all of our sins, all of our sorrows, all of our victories, and yes, all of our failures too. And you know how Jesus responds? Don't be afraid, but take comfort. And actually, because I know you, I know everything about you, and that I still love you even though I know the deepest, darkest secrets about you. That fact should bring us comfort. And like the song, yes, nobody may know our troubles, but we can take comfort. Because although, on, again, on earth, nobody, nobody may know our troubles, but Jesus surely does. Second, to learn about God's providence, this means God has a plan for us. So one of the greatest benefits of befriending um, your community is the ability to trust and allow your kids to roam and play with the other kids in the neighborhood. However, one of the biggest worries as a parent is that when all the kids are playing at your house, that one of the kids gets seriously injured under your watch, right? Under your roof. And some time ago, we had a situation like this at our neighbor's house where we have this young boy who had, had to be rushed to the hospital. You see, in our neighborhood, we have this uh, boy. He's like six or seven years old. And he has this heart condition. And I think it's a pretty serious one because he has this external um, pacemaker that sticks out of his chest. And even though I'm always concerned for that kid, I love how all the kids in our neighborhood, they always include him. And they treat him like any other kid. However, one day it happened. And I forget what my neighbor said uh, they were doing. They were probably playing soccer or basketball because they love to play sports. And the young boy takes a shot to the chest. And the pacemaker comes out of place and it's all messed up. Now you can imagine the scare and the terror that everyone felt. The kids were blaming themselves and thinking, how can we be so careless? Why did we play so aggressive? And the parents were blaming themselves and thinking, oh my gosh, why did we let the boy go out? And you can imagine how the poor neighbors felt who had that little boy over their house. But the good news is 
They got to the boy to the hospital in time. The doctors fixed their pacemaker. And he continues to run around like a gazelle in the open field today. And you know what's even better news? When they were fixing the pacemaker, the doctors found that the battery was almost dead. And it should have been replaced a long time ago. But because the indicator was broken, no one knew. And if the boy didn't come in to fix the pacemaker that day, the boy would have probably lost his life without the pacemaker working because of a dead battery. Crazy, isn't it? And although my neighbor friends, they're like, oh my gosh, what are the chances, right? In my head, I was thinking, wow, how providential. In God's providence, he used children. He used their friendships, their love for sports, and even an accident to fulfill his plan and to save the young boy that day. And we know many times this is how God's providence works. Because, again, look at the passage. When Joseph reveals himself and says, Hey guys, it's me, Joseph. The brothers are frozen in fear because they know Joseph knows everything about them. But if you look closely at Joseph's response, he's not just trying to comfort them by saying, don't worry, I'm not looking for revenge. That's not all that Joseph says. But what he really says is, God is trying to teach the brothers. God is trying to teach us. That they have nothing to fear because as much as you think it was your doing, it was really God's way for caring for us. And he was executing his elaborate plan. And that's why in verse 5, Joseph says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves. Why? Because God sent me to save you. In verse 6 and 7, yes, we've been stuck in this crisis for two years and there's five more years to come. But you know what? Don't worry, because God sent me here to rescue you. And in verse 8, Joseph says, you know what? So it wasn't you, but God sent me here. And in verse 9, in case the brothers and readers like you and I, we don't get the point here. In verse 9, it tells us when you go back to your home and your father and he freaks out about everything that you share, tell him not to worry. Why? Because it was God who made everything happen. And so do you see, brothers and sisters, what Joseph is explaining to his brothers who didn't understand is, although he may have faced difficulties due to their evil intentions, Joseph was able to still find peace, knowing evil does not rule the day. But instead, in God's providence, God created a plan to bring good to his people, despite the evil. And this is important for us to see because when we experience evil and difficulties due to others, or perhaps bad things happen to good people and you witness it. It makes us mad, doesn't it? And it makes us want to do something about it. And that's good. 
Because whenever there is injustice, it should make us angry. Whenever someone is being bullied, we should defend them and stand up for them. But you know what makes the difference between righteous anger and rage? What will drive us to really defend people rather than loot and steal from people? What will give us peace and perspective versus anxiousness and hopelessness? What our passage tells us, it's by knowing that God is ultimately in charge of everything. And it's not that he himself can do anything evil. It's not that he himself sins. But in his wisdom, he does permit certain things to happen. And whenever he does, whenever he allows certain things to happen in our lives, what Joseph has been telling us and his brothers is, at the end, we may not quite understand it, but somehow it's for our good. Lastly, to learn about God's providence, this means if we really get it, we will heed God's call and go. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Tom, you just shared how the Bible tells us that God is in control of everything. And if that's true, why do we have to go anywhere? He's already controlling it. He's already making things happen. Why do we even would want to do anything, you know? God's got it. Well, you know, when Charles Spurgeon, an English pastor from the 1800s, was once asked, if God is in control, can you explain, can you reconcile God's sovereignty and his providence with our duty and missions? Reconcile those two things. How does it come together? And if you know about Spurgeon, you know that he's kind of this witty and sarcastic guy. And he responds in a way that only he can and get away with, and he can get away with it. And he says, No, I can't reconcile these two things. Because you can't and you don't ever have to reconcile two people or two things that are already friends. In other words, although many often pit God's providence and God's sovereignty against missions. They pit them against each other. Thinking, if God is in control, then why do we have to go on missions, right? Why do we have to have a missional heart? And what Spurgeon is saying is, and what another pastor named John Piper taught me, the providential work of God should never replace our work, but it should energize our work. And it should drive us to go even more, knowing that he has already won the battle. And that's why in our passage, after Joseph tells his brothers who are feeling shameful, it's okay, come here. I know all that you did, but I still love you. And after Joseph tells his fearful brothers who had to go to their dad and tell him everything, it's okay, because it was God's plan. It's God who is in control. Only after Joseph says, come, please, come. In verses 9 to 13, Joseph now says, not only come, but now he says, go. Go back to our family and father and tell them 
about God's love and care for them. Go back and tell them about the feast that you had and that the land of Goshen awaits for you. Go back and tell them that during this crisis, that you've been cared for by God, you've been provided for by him. And go back and tell him that you've seen me, that I'm still alive. And bring them such good news. And when you do, make sure to bring them to me, right? And friends, this is important for us to see. Because yes, God's providence should comfort us, knowing that God knows us. And yes, God's providence should give us peace, knowing he has a greater master plan. But at the end, if we really understand God's providence and his care for his people, it shouldn't make us a self-centered, passive type of people, right? But it should drive us to go and be excited to go and to share about Jesus. We should be going to our family, especially to those that we know are not believers, telling them about Jesus. We should be telling people about our heavenly Goshen. Goshen was the best part of Egypt, the land that was so fertile, right? Where the Nile is constantly bringing it water. Or if you can imagine a land flowing with milk and honey. We should be telling others of our crisis and not to worry because God is caring for his people, his providence for his people. And we should be going and telling everyone about our Joseph, that our Jesus is alive and bringing them back towards Christ. And so if you're a Christian this morning and a part of the church, Let me just share one more thing about God's providence and how it should affect our daily living. And what how it should affect us is not only to go to um, non-believers and to our family and to bring them to Jesus. But we need to go to those who are part of the church. And call and act in a way that is forgiving and loving. You see. In our text, after all that Joseph's been through, being sold and shipped to a different country, he had to work as a slave for another family. He was falsely accused and thrown into prison. And he's been alone in isolation for 20 years. Not completely alone, but away from his friends, away from his family. In a country that that he doesn't even know how to speak the language. He had to figure it all out. And it's amazing that Joseph, when you see him, he's not angry. He's not this bitter person. But instead, he's able to forgive, to kiss, and to hug his brothers, right? And not only Benjamin, right, his favorite brother, but the rest of them, it tells us. How is Joseph able to do this? And the key is because Joseph understood God's providence. That everything that happened to him, he kept saying that it was it came from God because of God. And that's why he's able to forgive his brothers. 
And so if you jump down to verse 24, even though we didn't get to read the whole chapter, as Joseph's giving directions to go back and to tell everyone about him, oddly he says, don't fight with one another along the way, right? And so when I read this, this verse, it like sticks out because it seems so random, right? But then I realized, huh, that's good. Because just as Joseph, just as Jesus displayed love and forgiveness, because it was ultimately a part of God's plan, now he's calling us to do the same. Brothers and sisters, I know forgiveness is hard. It's tough because we are a prideful people. It's tough because some of the things that people did to us, it is so hurtful, isn't it? But if we can think like Joseph did, that it wasn't because of others really, but ultimately God permitted things in our life for good. It didn't come from them, but ultimately from God. I pray it would give us perspective and help us to forgive even our greatest offender and to stop quarreling with them. If you're not a Christian by joining us this morning, I'm glad you did. Because perhaps you can relate to the brothers. The brothers who knew nothing about Joseph when Joseph knew everything about him, right? Joseph knew who they were and recognized them, but they couldn't recognize Joseph. And you may relate because this has always been the case for the world, that God knows everyone, and yet people can't recognize him. The moment Jesus was born in the manger, no one could recognize him. When Jesus was living, even when he was living and doing all these things, people were still suspect of him, right? And even on the cross, when the disciples ran away and one of the criminals are, he's in, hurling insults at him. If you're God, let yourself down. And the other criminal says like, don't you know who you're talking to? If you're not a Christian, you know the one word besides God, 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 that Joseph repeats that it was because of God. The next word that I feel like he repeats the most is come. In verse 4, he says, come near me. In verse 9, Joseph says, come down to me, right? In verse 18, take your father and your household and come. Verse 19, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. And the reason why is our father is inviting you to come to him. Come experience his providence and care for you. Come experience his grace and his forgiveness. Come experience his love and how he's weeping for you and how he longs to throw his arms around your neck and start kissing you. And if you would only come and meet our heavenly father, you'll see he longs to give you a greater land than just Goshen. But again, the heavenly land. He wants to bring you back home to heaven. And the reason why will be the same reason Jacob was able to re receive it. Why was Jacob receiving all this favor? Why would he receive the land of Goshen? 
the reason why is because of his son, God's son Jesus.